Welcome everybody to <laughs> Elo's Man. We are going to be studying the laws of repentance. <clears throat> How to do chiva and looking around at the room, I certainly see that there are many people over here that <laughs> need to do that. Um, and we're going to begin with a very interesting Rambam. Rambam was the Rambam was written by Maimonides, which is not so strange because it's the same name. And he has a whole section which is actually not part of the Shulchan Aruch. There's no part in the Shulchan Aruch which deals with the laws of tshuva. Now, I use the word repentance, but I don't want to ever use that word again. Because it's the most misleading word you could probably have. Tshuva's got nothing to do with that. And since it is Elul, and we are engaged in the process of some level of preparation for what's called the Yomim Noroim, the Days of All, so um, we are going to perhaps open up some ideas, avenues of thought, and explore some ideas of Tshuva. And we begin with a very interesting beginning to the Rambam. And the Rambam in the fifth chapter of Hilchus Shiva says the following idea, and I'd like to explore it with you together. If, of course, you, you're keen to do that. Fantastic. I knew you'd be keen. Rishus says the Rambam, Rishus Lechol Adam Nesuna. Now, literally, or loosely you translate this as the permission to every man has been given if he chooses to incline himself to the way of good it's really interesting Rambam I mean I don't mean to be exacting in the Hebrew words because why would you look at the text to describe the meaning that's sarcasm for the Americans. The permission has been given to every man. Colon. If he so chooses to incline himself to the way of good and to become a tzaddik. He's allowed to. He has the ability. And if he wants to incline himself to the way of evil to be a Russia, to be an evil person, it's in his hands. Now, now first of all, just to, to pull out from the words a little bit of depth, the Rambam says two things. So the word evil or the word bad? The Rambam says two things. He says, if he wants to incline himself to the way of Tova, and again, even translating the words Tova and Raya as good and bad is misleading. The word toiv means something which has continued existence. It's reality. The word ra, which is toiv is translated often as good, and ra is translated often as bad. Do not translate them that way. Perhaps translate them in the following way. Toiv means something which has an eternal significance. It's real. It's going to last. Ra means something which is going to collapse. And the word ra'ua means something which is unsteady. It's not going to last. So ra is something which is impermanent, transient, temporary, it doesn't have any reality it's like a cloud, it's like a whiff it's like a human being from the physical perspective <laughs> um, that's right Toiv is something which is there forever so if a person wants to step number one he puts himself in a path where the path is aligned to some kind of deep and 
real spiritual reality. Then he says an additional two words. Viliyois tzaddik, and to become a tzaddik. Meaning there's two points. Over here there's a derech. You can put yourself upon a way, but then there's the actualization of that choice of where your mind frame is leaded, led to, sorry, and that is, and then you actually internalize it and you become the person that you vision yourself to be, envision yourself to be. So if a person wants to do that, to choose the way and then live the way by being a tzaddik, you can. On the other, op- the other option is, the other option, if you want to turn yourself to the way of Ra, to a place which is disaligned, mi- mi- misaligned, not congruent with some kind of ultimate spiritual truth, is Rasha, and then also to internalize it and become that, and to be a person that has no real connection to something which is eternal, Hirishis Biyada. So the Rambam begins in the fifth pack, peric of of Hilchus Shiva, and he begins with a discussion of the notion of our ability to choose. And our ability to choose is going to serve as a foundation to the entire process of Shiva. And we'll have to see why, but the Rambam will flesh it out. So that's the first part of the Rambam. We go on in the Rambam. We go in the Rambam, the Rambam says, Who she calls up a Torah? And he's proof now things become extremely interesting. Not like they weren't before. <laughs> so now things become extremely interesting. As the Rambam goes on, he brings a verse. And his verse proves this. And now this is where we're going to get a little bit perhaps... No, just lost. Says the Rambam, Who she Torah? This is what it says in the Torah. In the biblical narrative, the following is discussed. Hain, ha'adam echad mimenu lodaz Man has become like one of us. Simple translation. I'll look at the article and see how they do it. Lodaz toivora. To know good and bad. Now, in terms of the sequence of events, this verse comes at the end of the saga of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Many of you will know the story of Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden, and I'll give a brief summary right now for those of you that need a bit of a refresher. Um, I don't want to oversimplify things, but unfortunately I'm going to have to, because explaining these things in a way which is appropriate and serves a level of a depth would require not even months, but years. So I'm going to give you a over superficial description that there's a person called Adam. The first man was created as an androgynous being, meaning at both male and female. There's no such thing as man being created. There's man-woman being created. Zachar in the cave of Barosim is created both male and female. And in the process of the evolving creation of man, those two parts, the male and the female part, which are essentially one organism, which is a separate discussion about marriage and male-female relationships, those two composite features of the entirety of the human being, which has to have a male and a female component in its real state of existence, were rent asunder. For Americans, that means torn apart. And the the separate now half of male and separate half now female were then commanded to rejoin, which is the notion of marriage. In other words, for some reason, the man was created whole. He was then torn apart and then commanded to become whole again through the process of marriage. A whole discussion is why would you need that process? 
um, either don't separate them to begin with or create them separate and then tell them to bond. Why do you need to create them singular, a singular being, then rip them apart and then get them to re- reconnect? What's that all about? Great, great, great questions. We'll leave those questions unanswered and allow them to grow. Not shech them, but nurture them. Good. So you've got Adam and Eve, Adam and Chava. Now, there's a commandment that they are given. Don't eat of this tree. And the tree is called Eitzadas Tovera. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, of Ra and Tov, because we've just used those words. Eitzadas Tovera. The, the, the tree of the knowledge, you'll know Ra Tovera. That's what they were told to do. Um, they fall. They fall and they eat it. So what happens when they eat it? What happened when they eat it? So that's a discussion over on the Rambam. When they, ate, when they ate it, something happened. So quite simply, if the tree was a tree that its fruits gave you the knowledge of good and bad, what do you think happened when you eat it? You get the knowledge of good and bad. <laughs> Pretty simple. So what happened beforehand? So seemingly there were two levels of human existence. The first level of human existence was called Adam Arishin Koyimachet, man before the sin. What happened then? Man was completely overwhelmed by the intellectually obvious reality of the creation being manifest everywhere. Of course he could choose to go against it, but his choice would be similar to a person who is rational and in full control of his senses placing his head in a burning hot inferno. You could do it, but it's highly not recommended, and very few people in control of their senses would do such a thing. In fact, no one would, because it'd just be self-destructive. So they had a choice, but the choice was a choice that they would never, ever take. And therefore, the mistake they made was not an error in wanting to do something wrong. The error they made was trying to do something more right. And that's, they made, in other words, they made, they made a mistake in thinking, not a mistake in desire. They wanted to do the right thing, and they thought this is the better right thing. But in terms of their desire to do good, it was absolutely unilateral. There was a single design that was only to do good. There was no desire to do bad. After eating of the Eitzadah Tevarah, they developed the capacity to want to do bad. Until the eating of that fruit, they had no want, they had no want to do bad, and hence, as we know, freedom of choice was invented through the eating of the Eitzadah Tevarah. That's when they became, that's when they had freedom of choice, in the, in the sense, in other words, that the reality of evil was as attractive as the reality of good. So now, it's interesting, the Rambam brings this as a proof to the fact that we have freedom of choice. Because we ate of the Eitzadah Tevarah, now we have freedom of choice. Now, look what the Rambam, and it's very interesting in the words that the Rambam, he could have brought, he could have brought the verse which describes the tree. He describes, the verse he brings is at the end of the entire saga, and now, um, where are we in the verse? Verse 22. And now God says, and I read it in the Hebrew, it says, So, I'll read it to the, the article translation. And Hashem said, Behold, man has become like the unique one among us, knowing good and bad, and now lest he put forth his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the way that the article translates it is... Um, Man has become like the unique one among us, which I think means man has become like God. Um, but if you look at the Rambam, you'll see that he, he certainly doesn't 
side to that translation. Says the Rambam, where'd you get from this pasuk? What'd you get from this pasuk? Who she calls the betoya? Heina adam echad mimenu lodas tevera kloimai. He says this means to say hein minze this species shall adam of man hayoyachid ba'olam is unique in his world. Ve'ain min sheni doimeloi, and there is no second species similar to him. Bezehainen in this matter. Where is man differentiated from every single other species in the entire universe in this matter? That he from himself and with his own cognition and planning he knows both good and bad and he can do whatever he wants. There's no one stopping him from doing good or bad, and says, he continues to explain the Pasuk, and since this is true, since he can't actually do it, we better get him out of the Garden Eden, because maybe he'll eat of the Tree of Life, live forever, and in living forever, he'll live forever and choose the bad path, and therefore he'll forever live doing evil. And that's not a good idea. So now, I want to explore something over here. The Rambam brings us a proof that we can choose from the fact that the man ate of this tree which gave him the knowledge of good and evil and therefore now he has the choice to do good and evil how far does this go? and this is the point I'd like to explain you can choose good and evil as a person where is the essential struggle of choice, where does it begin? What happens after humanity integrated the Eitzadas Tovara? They now have the knowledge of good and evil. They now have the knowledge of good and evil. The first thing they did was they covered themselves up. So, this is what's perplexing me. The Rambam says that man is unique because he of his, from himself he knows good and bad. The Rambam doesn't imply any educational process which brings about this knowledge. It's intrinsic. It's intrinsic. What does it mean? Say I was brought up in a small village in the Solomon Islands, descended from incredible Yechus, my, my Tata, my Zayda, my Zayda, Zayda, were all cannibals. Do I know that's right or wrong? No. Well, I was brought up and uh, every Friday night it was one of the neighbors we were one of the neighbors for dinner literally <laughs> yeah. a, lot, a lot of people buy you for meals <laughs> yeah, a lot of meals buy you for people um, so, so, so do I know that's wrong um, you look around the world and it seems to be that 
morality is an extremely ambiguous topic. And it seems to be like this. It seems to be that the Rambam saying, not only can you choose, but you also know which way to choose. I'll explain to you why. Because if it would not be that you could choose, so the entire topic of chiva would be an irrelevant topic. The whole point of chiva is I did something which I know was an inappropriate thing to do and therefore, I can regret having done it and return to a more elevated state of living. That's only possible if I had a choice to do it. If I was, if I was coerced, programmed to do that action, so then I bear no responsibility for it. The entire premise of Chuva is that the thing that I did wrong was done wrong with cognition. With cognizance. Otherwise, there's nothing for, there's nothing for me to do chiva on. Example. A person was served food which was advertised as being the best standard of kashrus ever. And he ate it every day. After eating it for three weeks solid, it was discovered that it was all one big hoax and really it was completely not kosher food. Does he have to do chiva? No, because he didn't do anything wrong. He did his due diligence. He researched the Heksha, everything was fine. Someone tricked him into, but it wasn't his problem, and he couldn't have done anything about it. Is he responsible? He's not responsible because he didn't choose to do that. He chose to eat kosher food. He didn't choose to eat non-kosher food, and therefore how can he be held liable for his choice? In other words, every single time there's chiva, there's always choice attached to the chiva. If I did something wrong, meaning, Sam, Meaning, like, say for example, random example, person sitting in the boring musashir and he decides to go to sleep. Now, is that right or wrong? Depends on right. the musashir. If it's being recorded. It's right or it's wrong. What is it? Is it a right thing to do or is it a wrong thing to do to fall asleep in a musashir? It's probably wrong. It's probably wrong? It's wrong. <laughs> Depends, right? It depends if you need the energy for something which has got, like, real learning. Right. <laughs> to recharge you. Um, Good nap time. <laughs> So, so the premise of chiva is that you know what you did was wrong. And which means that the premise of freedom of choice is that we walk into this world and we have the capacity to think, to know, this is right, this is wrong, I better do the right thing and not the wrong thing. And when I think about this idea, I experientially um, process uh, this idea to be completely inconsistent with my perception of reality. Um, I think there's enormous confusion amongst the world as to what is considered right and wrong. And people themselves have got a whole variety of different versions. And I think people are committed to causes which they believe to be absolutely right and other people hold them to be absolutely wrong. For example, take the notion of abortion. If you go to a pro-abortionist, they'll say to you, you're protecting the right of a woman's body. You're stopping unwanted children from coming into the world. It's an amazing thing to do. If you go to an anti-abortionist, they'll say, you're killing young unborn children. How can you do that? Both have got a moral stance. Both will proclaim their right in the name of morality. Assisted suicide. 
Is it moral or immoral? Well, it depends who you ask. If you ask a person that's pro-assisted suicide, there are many organizations that if any of you are having a bad time, they can help you with this. Um, <laughs> just, just putting it out there. <laughs> Allowing you your options, you all have freedom of choice. It's not that bad of a issue. <laughs> <It's not that laughs> could be, I could make it, I mean, I get into business, take a cut. There's this, uh, there's this organization Shit, called, no, no. and the name of the organization is very telling, it's called Dignitas. Dignitas. It's an organization, I think it's in, uh, I think it's in, I don't know if it's in Holland, it's in one of the European countries, that you apply to them, that you really would like to end your life, and they facilitated it with a painless injection that will put an end to the misery that you're suffering. And they look it upon as an incredible kindness to a person that's really having a tough day, or night, or week, or month, or whatever. Um, over the year. And you go to them, and the doctor graciously, out of the kindness of his heart, kills you. Um, so it's a, real it's a real thing. It's a real yeah. thing. And, and, and on there's, there's a lobby to say that this is morality because this is something which allows people the choice to live or to die. It's the most highest evolved form of morality. And the other people say, you're allowing people to kill other people. That's not so good. So morality is a highly ambiguous thing. And that, that's just one example. But you could go through every single thing that one person will say is moral, the other person will say that's immoral, and vice versa. No? Yeah. What if you all believe in one moral code? Well, again, the Rambam seems to be implying that there's an intuitive knowledge of good and evil implanted inside of every single human being, and hence he is responsible for his actions. Would it not be for this, so the Rambam wouldn't have no proof to make a person do tshuva, because he'd say, well, every person would say, well, I didn't know that was, was wrong. Th- How could I have known that was wrong? But now that the Rambam says, you know it's wrong, because it says, hey, no, Adam, by the way, if you're reading the verse, this is how the Rambam punctuates it. The Pasuk says, hey, no, Adam, the way Rashi learns the verse, for those of you advanced scholars, he puts the comma after me, menu. Man was like one of us, and that's how the Oscar, I think, translates it. Man was like one of us, he's also like a God. Lodas Tovera, in the fact that he knows good and bad. Um, the Rambam puts a comma after Mimenu, so, so before Mimenu, sorry. So he reads it like this. Man is like one of us. Comma. Mimenu, from himself, he knows good and evil. He knows good and evil. So if everyone knows good and evil, how can there be a dialogue, discussion, and dispute over morality? It should be global, all accepted, where's things gone wrong? So I think that's, that, that's a fundamental question of the Rambam, and I think that plays into, in a very powerful way, our tshuva. Why? Because like this, Andrew, every single person has an inclination to justify what he's done in his life. And therefore, that's going to be a little bit obstructive if he has done wrong, wrong things to tshuva. Because he's going to look at his life and he's saying, well, that was great. What do you mean that was great? You robbed the bank. Yes, but the bank's got so much money. <laughs> See how much I robbed it for? <laughs> um, and uh, plus, I gave huge amounts of the money that I robbed from the bank to charity. They said, what's your name? He said, my second name is Hood. So, <laughs> so when, you, when you think about your own life, when you think about in your own life and you look at your choices you've made, the natural inclination for all of us is to say, well, all our choices were, were right. And then comes along the Rambam and says, but you know what's right and wrong. So are you all following me in terms of... Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Is it possible the Rambam was 
speaking to his generation in this. Meaning, we're living now in a, in a generation where people, most people don't know the difference between right and wrong. Right. So the Rambam right. obviously well. knew what he was talking about in all regards, but I don't know if, if that's so applicable to right, the, to right now. Not to say the Rambam's words aren't applicable. Okay, so let's just cross out the Salach in the Rambam. No, you, you can't do that. So what just cross that? out the Salach. So Rambam, so we're right, we're right, we're right in this room. Irrelevant for today's day and age. People <laughs> today up, do not have to do chuba because... Terror. Beautiful, beautiful. You, yeah, no, no, Max. Yeah. There was sarcasm, uh, Maddie. So... It's being recorded. So... 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 So Max, this is the thing. The Rambam is describing seemingly a intrinsic part of humanity, because he's bringing a verse. The Rambam not bringing a verse from his contemporary times. I look around me, and most most, if I can be, if I can wax South African for a moment, please. Oaks know what's right, eh? Yeah. Oaks know what's right. So most oaks know what's right, and he said, therefore, I make this conclusion. Not saying that. He's saying, let me research, go back to the source of what humanity looks like from a deep spiritual perspective. And he says, man is defined as the one that has a capacity to differentiate between right and wrong. So we just, we just don't do it. So now, my question on the Rambam is, if that's true, when I look around the world around me, it does not seem to be reflected in reality. Right. And since I'm trying to be real, and trying to not just make up some kind of rhetoric and see where it impacts my life and I'm now in a, I'm now in a quandary. What does the Rambam mean? Because the Rambam has to be informing me about reality but the reality seems to be in contradistinction to what the Rambam is saying. What do I do? How do I see the light over here? Are you all with me in my struggle? Mm -hmm. Or are we all together in the same struggle? Mm -hmm. Isn't it? Isn't it? No, no, no. So that's interesting. It's interesting that the Rambam's premise of Chuva is that we know what's right and wrong. I mean, you could you could argue that he's talking about once you've put effort into getting attaining that clarity, and you're right. Before you've attained the clarity, you don't you're not able to discern right from wrong. But that in itself is is a wrong on your part because you have the capacity to know right from wrong if you search. Each person has this ability, whatever situation they're in. Did they go and look that that? knowledge of right and wrong once you look for it then intrinsically it's there once I pull away as you said the barriers all the all the Moira Hetas right I or I want to all the biases when you pull that away then it's intrinsically you know. intrinsic's only as intrinsic as you can see the intrinsic you know maybe let, 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 let me read you another line from the Rambam which is really something uh, the Rambam says like this since we have the ability in our hands, in our ability, in our reach, we detain us in And since we do with cognition all these things which are not appropriate, are not right. That's why we should do and we should leave our ways which are not appropriate. Because just like our choice was to make a mistake then, we have a, within our ability now to choose right. Can you say that again? Essentially, this, this Rambam is just an, an a opening into this whole big idea of what do we actually do with our lives? <laughs> I mean, that's really the question. Like, our lives and, our, and who we are is the sum total of the choices we make, make and made. 
we are here sitting in this room. It could be, there could be, you know, choose your own adventure. There could be a million other permutations to the way that our life panned out. No? If you like go back, there'll probably be like there all these like crossroad times where if you wouldn't have spoken to this person, you wouldn't have heard this this thing, you wouldn't have met that person, and they're like all interlinked. So then, it's, it's back to the future. To quote from my broad secular knowledge that ends about 1990. Um, the most jarring part about Back to the Future, I imagine one, there's probably been a thousand Back to the Future since then, because they keep on coming Back to the Future, is that when the person goes back in time and changes one thing, so when he goes back to the present, everything else has changed. Meaning, let's say like this, let's say I'll give you an example from my own life. My own life, the reason why I'm sitting in front of you is based on a five-minute interaction that happened when I was 19 years old. five-minute? Five-minute interaction, really? yes. Five-minute interaction was as follows. Um, I went to a house, and there was a party, and someone said, you know, there's this great sheer going on. Why don't you join me? And I said, sounds fantastic. I'll join you. And that was a catalyst which spread this like, whole chain effect of me then looking for more. Now, theoretically speaking, if I would have missed that that party, right. so I never would have been heard about that year, I never would have joined it, and today I would be wearing long robes and um, being, I don't an know, being an artist in, in <laughs> Corsica. Or the I don't know. Or the yo, maybe I'd be a, I don't know, like a financial consultant in, a in, in Wall Street. Chance of them. <laughs> Whatever I'm saying, there were like a thousand different. I like that rabbi quirk. Thank you. Yeah. So, so yes. Yeah, so, so that's so that's so to understand. So it seems like we are who who the, the whole premise. This is Andrew. This is the point that I want to hammer have you enough for you for Mac. Is that it seems to be that the Rambam says, and I'm going to use words. And I'm again this everything I'm saying over here is all in the very tentative preparatory. I have no clear understanding yet and hopefully we'll work it through together is that it seems to be we are the architects of our destiny and that being so we bear responsibility for where we are and that's why Shiva is a prerequisite because were it to be that we landed up in where we are based on factors outside of our control so then we don't bear any responsibility and therefore Shiva is ridiculous to understand so that's an idea I'd like you to float around in your head for the next uh, few days and see how we get that because I think that's kind of the thing people speak about Chiva and if you don't think about this idea so then Chiva is an irrelevant topic to discuss you have to you have to understand the relationship between where I am my choices what kind of awareness do I have of those choices and what that's done for me in terms of where I am today and what differences could there be could there be other options so say for example illustrate say for example that we see that things have ripple effects so let's say when uh, when I was 20, I chose to go to this year. 19, I chose to go this year. And as a result, this happened, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened. So that choice essentially spurned, spurned a whole generation of other choices. Um, but I'm sure there are many other choices I've made in my life since then, which have also spurned a whole generation of choices. And it could be right now, in an alternative series of choices, I would be very in a very different place. And it could be the place I would be in it would be exponentially more elevated than the place I'm in now. 
Let's face it. Ain't that great? Right? Here I am. Like a biddy ever Yeshua. Teaching biddy ever Bokhim. Was it Whoa, 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 whoa. Chas Something to think about, boys. It says in the Pesach, 